Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead, take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Talking Hockey Sense. My name is Chris Peters, and it is episode 100 of Talking Hockey Sense. It started back in March of 2021 with the great Bob McKenzie uh, honoring me by being the, the first guest on the show. And we're in World Junior season, so it's the time where Bobby Mack comes out of hiding. I didn't bring him on for this episode. I did talk to him, though. Today, we were chatting a little bit, so a little name drop there. But um, we were talking a little bit about this and I, I had the opportunity to thank him for helping me launch this podcast. And it was just funny that we had connected on today randomly, uh, when I'm recording the 100th episode of the podcast. Now, what, what does that mean for this show? Uh, well, not a lot. We're going to continue to talk about the things that we would normally talk about. Um, it's just a nice round number. And considering that this was a podcast that I started before I was at flow hockey and now it's here at Flow Hockey. However you interact with this podcast, I just wanted to start off the show with a heartfelt thank you to everyone that has ever listened, shared, rated, reviewed, commented, whatever you have done uh, to help support this podcast. I cannot thank you enough. It is so fun for me, and it's great to hear from people when I'm out at the arenas that listen. Um, it's great to have all the questions. We have a robust Q&A today to talk about all the different things that are going on in the hockey world. And there's just so much to get to. But I did want to say thank you from the bottom of my heart. I really enjoy doing this show. It was very important to me that when I came to Flow Hockey that I could bring the show with me. And now we have a video element. We have more, more ways to interact with the show. And it's uh, I got a better microphone now. I got a better camera. It's all good. Everything's good. It's great. So, uh, and that is all thanks to you guys for continuing to support the show. And once again, a huge thanks to Bob McKenzie, who was the very first guest way back in March of 2021. Uh, and the world was in a, in a very strange place at that point. And so was my career, at least I thought. Uh, but now it's great to be at Flow Hockey doing this show with you. Um, so 
we got to 100 shows, but we'd love to do 100 more. So if you could please leave a kind rating and review on your podcast app of choice, make sure you are subscribed to the podcast wherever you download your audio podcast from, or you can follow us on YouTube, subscribe to the Flow Hockey YouTube channel, or on the Flow Sports app, which you can watch on your TV, you can watch on your phone, you can even watch on your desktop, wherever you do, you can watch Talking Hockey Sense. So once again, thank you. Let's start the show. Let's get to the topics at hand. There is some more pressing stuff because on Monday of next week, the World Junior Championship rosters for the pre-tournament camps will start to be announced. And I believe we'll see Team USA's. We could potentially see Team Canada's. There are still some things up in the air for both teams, but largely the decisions have been made. So let's check in with the World Junior Championship. And I'll give you a little bit of an update on where things stand with Team USA. So we expect a roster, um, you know, I think it's going to be upwards of 25, 27, somewhere in there uh, in terms of the amount of players that are going to be invited. That's typically what it is. Um, so Team USA, will will see that. If you go to flowhockey.tv right now, um, you will be able to find my kind of on the bubble watch guys that I think are on the bubble guys that I think are absolute locks to be on the team and guys I think are likely to be on the team. Um, and also that means in the camp as well. So I did do a projected roster. I've already found out that a couple of players on my projected roster will not be in camp. We'll get to that in a minute. So not how you want it to go. Typically, you know, you obviously strive for accuracy, but with these things, there's a lot of, you know, invitations that have to go. It's it's very difficult to pin down the entire roster, but I wanted to at least give you a picture of what it looked like. And I think that we have that on, on Flow Hockey. A couple of things to get out of the way. As far as we know, according to sources that I've talked to, Logan Cooley, not going to be made available. He's the only player uh, in the player pool that's in the NHL currently. Obviously, Canada has a number of players that fit into that category but team usa it's only logan cooley and as far as i know he will remain with the arizona coyotes having a very good rookie season coyotes are a competitive team he's an important piece for them um i don't think that he will be uh decamping uh and coming to the world juniors but that opens up a lot of opportunity for other players will smith uh underager james Hagens, frank nazar you know those are players that are gonna have to step into that role uh, to be centers, you know, maybe Cutter Gauthier does slide over to the center position, depending on on Team USA's needs. There's a lot of things that can happen there, but you know, I, I wanted to to kind of go through a little bit about some of the other things that that I've been hearing of late. And there, you know, as as you put out a piece that predicts things, um, you will f- soon find out people will come out of the woodwork and they will tell you, "Hey, I this is what I'm hearing. This is what I'm hearing." And then when you start hearing enough, you say, "Oh, well, then maybe I was wrong." So. Uh, I think there will be some surprises when Team USA announces their their roster. And we're going to talk about the World Juniors all throughout the next several episodes of this podcast. We'll have a detailed breakdown of the official camp roster as released by USA Hockey on next week's week's episode um, of the podcast. But I just wanted to kind of at least give you a little bit of a heads up of where I think things are going now. One of the players... Um, you know, that I've had my eye on for this camp, and it's been a tough, tough year so far, is Charlie Stramel playing at the University of Wisconsin, first-round draft pick of the Minnesota Wild. Only one goal so far for Wisconsin, and Wisconsin's been a resurgent team, but but Stramel missed uh, a chunk of games and has not really regained his footing. He had a very average camp um, in the summer as well, and it sounds to me uh, a player that I thought would be a penalty killer for this team, a fourth-line center you know, a, a potential third-time World Junior invitee. I do not believe we'll be seeing him at the camp. 
Um, I do not believe we'll be seeing him on the team at, at that at that rate. And I did project him onto the roster uh, based on track record, experience, size, uh, the way that he plays. You know, I think USA could use somebody like him. However, it's just been a tough season so far. And there's obviously a lot of pressure when you're a first round draft pick. Um, you're in a new system, new coach at Wisconsin. It just hasn't, you know, gone necessarily all that well for Charlie Stramble. So I don't think we'll see him. Another player that I did have on my projected roster that I've now had multiple sources say to me will not be part of Team USA uh, is Hunter Brustevich. And if you are an OHL conspiracy theorist, and there are many this time of year, um, it'd be because he's a CHL player. I don't believe that's necessarily the case, but Hunter Brustevich is on pace for over 100 points with the Kitchener Rangers. He's a right shot defenseman, good skater, um, you know, really good puck mover. The situation the Team USA finds itself in with this roster construction is that there are a lot of players that play exactly the same way. And that lack of balance on the blue line is a particular concern. I think that's going to lead to a couple of players that weren't in the summer camp or were on the bubble in the summer that are going to get looks or longer looks in camp. Brustevich was the one that I heard that wouldn't be there that did surprise me the most. I did have him on my projected roster. I did think that, they, that he was going to be a player that, that they could potentially um, lean on in the event that any of their other offensive defensemen didn't quite have um, the juice to, you know, to either run the power play or different things like that. But that's what you see. So you look at guys, Lane Hudson, Seamus Casey, Zeev Booyam, all sub six foot offensive defensemen who can run a power play. Um, Hunter Brustevich can run a power play. Um, can he do it better than any of those three players? That is probably the question that USA was asking itself. And if their answer was no, where do you put him? Because you're not necessarily looking for him to be a shutdown defenseman. That makes things more difficult. So that is another thing that you have to, when, when a team is being built for the world junior championship, I know that you just say, just take all the best players. And I, and, and I think that that's, that is an option. You know, you just take all the best players. But if you take players that are ill fits for certain roles, and if you're saying Hunter Brustevich is only going to be on our bottom pairing, he's not going to be on our power play, where does he fit? I still think he was worth bringing into camp to see if he could supplant any of your guys that you have faith in um, to do the job. Because I think that Booyam, uh, Hudson, and Casey are the primary guys that will do that. But there's not a lot of guys that are big, that are defensive. So, you know, and, and, and Brustevich wasn't going to solve that problem for them either. Still interesting. But you look at this roster up front. There are very few spots up for grabs up front. I think they have a very good idea of who they're taking. There are some mitigating factors. I did report that, you know, Rucker McGroarty's status for the World Junior Championship is very much in doubt. He sustained an injury that is going to require time to heal. And it can potentially heal in the time that it takes to get to the World Junior Championship. But I don't think USA is going to know firmly enough before they leave for Sweden if Rucker McGroarty is going to be a full go at the World Juniors. They still have time. They still have about a month until the tournament begins, but that is a risk that you have to be very careful about. USA could potentially travel heavy to the World Juniors, a couple extra players. You can bring as many as 25 players to this thing. Only 23 can be rostered at a time, including three goalies and the rest, you know, a max of 20 skaters rostered at any one time. So if you have any doubts about Rucker McGordy's health, a guy that could potentially be the captain of this team, a guy that, you know, is a heart and soul player in this age group, 
you have to start looking for alternatives. And I think that that's something that USA is actively doing is, is trying to figure out exactly how they fill that hole. Now, the good news for them, they have a plethora of scoring wingers, guys that can make plays. Now, they don't necessarily have as many guys that compete as hard as McGrordy does, but they do have players that can fill the void that he's going to create if he's unavailable, unavailable to Team USA. Um, he's already been ruled out for the remainder of the first half of the season for the University of Michigan. Uh, it was a tough hit. He landed on his uh, on his backside and, and landed with pretty significant force. Um, and it's believed, you know, there's some sort of upper body injury that came along with that. Um, McGordy was in the hospital for a little while as well. Um, so he's a warrior. You know he wants to go, but will he ultimately be available? That is a question USA will have to ask. Um, but as I mentioned, the, the forward depth is tremendous. I mean, there are going to be really good players left off this roster that you can make a, a great argument for, but it's just, who do you take out? Who are you going to take out? I think, you know, you look at some of the guys that are, are going to be part of this team and it's, where do you find the differences? And, um, what are the guys that can play different roles that give you a little bit of help where it's not, you know, like, for example, I think a guy that's on the bubble, Cole Eiserman, he has 25 goals in 19 games. So you got to have that guy. But if he's not going to be in your top six and you look on the left wing side and you say, okay, well, I've got Gabe Perot, I've got uh, Cutter Goche potentially, you know, I've got players that I can rely on in those, in those roles, maybe Rucker McGordy if he's healthy. Those are guys that are likely to play in your top nine. Eiserman's not a fourth line player. He's probably not a great 13th forward for you. You want somebody with a little more versatility. So that's how you run out of space so fast with these teams. It is really hard to put these teams together. It is so fun for me to try to guess what they're going to do. And the pressure is off of me because if I don't win, I can't win a gold medal. They, they are the ones that are trying to win the gold medal. So it's easy for me to say this guy, this guy, or this guy. Um, but I think we're going to see some real surprises there. Another thing I wanted to chat about quick is Team Canada and the number of NHL decisions that are going to be facing that team. You look at guys like Tristan Luno from the Anaheim Ducks, Zach Benson at the Buffalo Sabres, Kevin Korczynski with the Chicago Blackhawks, Connor Bedard, who is not going anywhere. Um, you know, you, you look at Shane Wright, who it, it sounds like is already, Seattle is already saying he's not going to the World Junior Championship, played in it twice, will not be going. Um, you know, so that that leaves you in a bit of a bind. So will Zach Benson be made available? It's still possible. Uh, the 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 Buffalo Sabres GM Kevin Adams said today, uh, as I record this um, to the media, that you know they're leaving that option open, but they want to give him a, a little more time. He's played really well. He's got his first NHL goal in just tremendous fashion. Um, really fascinating player to watch. We'll see exactly what happens with that group. Um, but Canada will have a lot of different players that you know, they'd love to have on the team that just won't be available. Don't believe Korchinski will be made available. Um, you know, so there, there are players that have that NHL level experience that would certainly help. Um, but that does diminish Canada's depth. They've got some question marks in goal. It looks like that's starting to solidify. They might even be a little bit more confident in their goaltending. Um, but then you look at guys like Macklin Celebrini, you figure he's going to be there. Um, you know, Matt Savoy went back to junior. So you figure he's going to be there after a little bit of NHL time and, and some AHL time as well. Um, so, you know, I think Canada is going to have another roster that's, that's, uh, really fascinating. There is one other fascinating in little bit of wrinkle that could happen too. And nobody's answered one way or the other. So this is purely, purely speculation on my part. Um, my question is for the Anaheim Ducks, Leo Carlson is on basically a plan that the Anaheim Ducks have put forward. 
He's not going to play every single game, but when he has played, he's looked really good. Do you keep him with the NHL team or do you give them the opportunity to go play for Team Sweden in Sweden for a World Junior Gold Medal with a team that has a legitimate chance to win the whole thing? And not just to win the whole thing. If you have Leo Carlson, all of a sudden we're talking, is Sweden the favorite? Are they the favorite? They did win that. This age group did win their under-18 world gold medal, beating this U.S. team. Um, they've, they, you know, they've, they've gone on deep runs. They played in the gold medal game last year as well. This is a very interesting time. And if you're the Anaheim Ducks and you've already got Leo Carlson on this plan, I think your only fear is that he gets hurt over there because I don't think I think the opportunity to play for a gold medal for your country at home is a pretty remarkable thing. Consideration. It's at least a consideration. Yes, I would be concerned that he gets hurt and that you know you lose time, but that could also happen just as easily in an NHL game. Um, and also there was that little little uh note from Alex Kalorn who was on the Spit and Chicklets podcast that apparently Leo Carlson is still growing. Uh, which is crazy. Um, he's a massive human and apparently still growing. Good gracious. Um, but will he be at the World Juniors? We'll wait and see. I'm not sure. Probably not, but maybe. We'll see. But there's a lot of fun things coming up because when those camps get announced for those teams, it creates so much debate, so much conversation, and it's all about prospects. It's about uh, an international tournament. Yes, the holidays are here. Yes, it's a great time of year. But World Juniors, holy smokes. This is going to be a fun, fun tournament. I think the U.S. has a chance. Canada has a chance. The Czechs have a chance. The Slovakians have a chance. The Swedes have a great chance. Never count out Finland. Should be a very competitive tournament. And I can't wait to bring you more coverage. Also, just so you know, Go to flowhockey.tv. We have a number of video features coming out. We've already got three up, one on Lane Hudson, one on Cutter Goche, one on David Carl. We've got one coming soon on James Hagen, who we fully expect will be part of Team USA at the World Juniors, not draft eligible until 2025. A lot of insight from him on who he's looked up to, the things that he's done to put himself in a position to be one of the top players, and now to potentially be a draft minus two, or draft minus one, rather, excuse me, draft minus one, making his world champion world junior championship debut really excited to bring that to you make sure you check that out on flowhockey.tv or via the flow sports app and a few of those will end up on youtube as well all right do you want to move on because there was one other big piece of news in the prospect world in the last 24 hours and that is that the buffalo sabers have sent down devin levi devin levi a tremendous prospect great young goaltender who has a bright future ahead of him. The Sabres were attempting to do something that we have never seen in recent memory. Um, There just are so few goalies that go from junior or college to the pros without any AHL time, without any, you know, any significant AHL time. And I'm talking like more than 10 games. Um, We've seen players called up early plenty of times before, but the Levi situation is one that I think is particularly interesting because obviously the Buffalo Sabres made a pretty big bet. They kept three goaltenders on their roster. So you had, you had, you know, Uka Pekalukanen, you had Comrie, you have Devin Levi, um, you know, and that means you got to get guys reps, you know, different things in practice. 
it's not a great situation. A three goalie rotation isn't necessarily the best for any team. Um, and it's certainly not good when you have a player that simply needs reps. There is not a single position in professional sports. And I've tried to think about it critically. Am I just, do I have my hockey blinders on? I don't think so. There's not a position in sports that takes more time, repetitions, and patience than the goaltending position. It is, you look at, and the Buffalo Sabres, even in their own history, Ryan Miller is the best collegiate goalie ever, in my opinion. I think there has never been a better NCAA goalie than Ryan Miller. So we're talking about a Sabres legend, a guy whose number is in the rafters. Ryan Miller still spent time in the AHL. Some goalies spend years. Andre Vasilevsky, significant AHL time, less than most goalies, but significant enough. Igor Shosturkin, Ilya Sorokin. And those guys had played professionally in Europe. So they didn't necessarily have the timeline that Levi did coming from college. And let's also remember that Devin Levi missed an entire year of development due to the fact that he got injured at the World Junior Championship. Played in that World Juniors so well for Canada. Record-setting performance. Incredible to see a player come out of nowhere like that. And then one of the best collegiate goalies I've ever seen at Northeastern, some of the most insane numbers that we've ever seen. And so he was uniquely positioned to maybe be the guy that broke the mold. But he wasn't. And he hasn't. And that's fine. And that doesn't change the projection of him. He's still a future number one goalie as far as size, but he has elite hockey sense. He has tremendous mental strength. He's got great technique. And he is a competitor. And he has the tools to be an elite goaltender in the NHL. But not many players can be an elite goaltender in the NHL at 22, 23, 24 years old. It takes time. Time was not a luxury the Sabres had. This is a team that felt like and should probably still feel like it can compete for a playoff spot. But that is starting to slip away. And before you do further damage to Levi's development, you let him go to the AHL where he could play for the Rochester Americans, which is a good AHL team. Good players on that roster, getting the reps, being a pro, figuring things out. And then, and maybe you can even bring him back up later in the season. Maybe you can give him time. Whatever the case may be, Devin Levi needs to play. He needs to play a lot. He needs to be in a lot of different situations. And he just needs time. And that is always the most frustrating thing about tracking prospects and particularly goalie prospects, even when you think they're done, give it more time. It just never seems to fail. So that was fun. We talked a little goaltending, talked a little world juniors. And now since it's the 100th episode of this show, what is the sig? you know, this, the format has changed over the years. Obviously I had a lot of guests before had a lot of conversations, but I've always found a lot of fun in answering your questions. And I get a lot of them every single week. And, you know, sometimes I can answer every single one that I get. And sometimes I can't today. I'm trying to answer all the ones I've gotten for the last three days on Twitter X, what have you, um, to talk about various things. So hundredth episode means big time Q and a, and we will get it started off with a big picture question from my good pal fork over at, at hockey night. One of the first podcast I think I did a guest appearance on was the old hockey night podcast shout out 
uh, and pour pour out a little malort for those gentlemen right there. But this one comes to us from Hockey Night, and it is, as a former blogger who once wanted Kyle Turris instead of Patrick Kane, I have to ask, which prospect was your biggest miss? Either way, underestimated or overestimated. Now, this is a question that I've answered on the podcast before, but I figured I'd go a little bit further in depth on it because there are a number of mistakes that I made in my career, um, and I expect to make more of them. Uh, the thing about this job is that it's always an inexact science, and, and evaluations are very difficult, and we're dealing with players that are going to change, that are going to have different things come up in their lives, that are going to have injuries. There's all these different factors that make your projections either look really good or really bad in hindsight. But I often go back to my first ever draft rankings for a national publication. I was at CBS Sports at the time. Uh, It was the Nathan McKinnon draft, and I ranked Nathan McKinnon third. Third in his draft class. Seth Jones was number one, and Jonathan Drouin was number two. It's funny that you mentioned Patrick Kane because I thought that Jonathan Drouin was Patrick Kane part two. I thought that he was the second coming of Patrick Kane and that he was going to go to whatever team he was with, be a 70 to 90 point score every season. Because remember, we weren't, not a lot of guys were scoring 100 points back then. And that he was going to be one of the most entertaining players in the NHL. Also, Seth Jones, even to this day, and this could be my inexperienced brain from back then doing the evaluating, but Seth Jones as a defenseman was one of the best players that I've tracked at his position in my years doing this. Um, both I, I had seen him since he was 16. So I'm in his 17 year. So I'm in his 18 year. And I was convinced this guy was going to win a lot of Norris trophies. Um, we are currently waiting for the first uh, and it probably won't happen. But at the same time, I still think that Seth Jones is an excellent NHL defenseman. He's a number one in the NHL, you know, for the Chicago Blackhawks. Um, He's a guy that has not played a lot in the playoffs in his career. Um, you know, so you would love to see him get that opportunity. Um, I am a big believer in Seth Jones and was at the time. Um, and I saw something recently. It was on, you know, on Facebook. You're scrolling through Facebook and you're like, you see some sort of quote. And I, I can't even remember where it's from, who shared it, but I but it stuck out to me. And when I got this question, it made me think of this quote was that. You know, the first time you do anything, it's going to be bad, but you have to do it and you have to go through it and you have to be bad and you shouldn't have, you shouldn't be embarrassed of it. And I'm not because I knew I was a rookie and I made a lot of rookie mistakes with that first ever draft ranking that I did. And I probably wasn't ready at that time, but that was something that they believed in me to do. And I did it. And, um, you know, Nathan McKinnon is one of the best players in the NHL. Uh, but it also remember like at the very beginning of his NHL career, we were like, is this going to happen for him? Is he going to be all right? Is Seth Jones really the better player? Um, and then obviously, you know, Jonathan Duran has gone through a lot of other things and, and, you know, has been very open about his mental health and different things like that. And, you know, things didn't necessarily work out for him. Uh, but you know, I, those are, those are a couple of guys. I think in more recent years, I was among the very many that had Alexi Lafreniere as the consensus number one. Um, I don't think that he's ever going to live up to that billing. I think he's going to be a serviceable NHL player for a long time. Um, he's going to make an impact positively for the New York Rangers. And at various points of the season he has, um, but being a number one pick is going to be a lot. So 
overestimated in that one. Um, you know, underestimated Wyatt Johnston just a couple of years ago. I think Wyatt Johnston is, you know, a top six player in, in the NHL already. Um, and, you know, had that tremendous OHL season after his draft year. He was one of those guys during that COVID year, didn't get a lot of live viewings of him, but he had a tremendous rookie OHL season. Um, and, you know, the, which showed that the offense was going to be there. I thought he was more of a kind of a two-way guy. The offense exploded. He became an NHL player very quickly. So I always point to, to Wyatt Johnson these days now. Um, you know, Jason Robertson was another one where I think I was too low on. Um, you know, there's there's always going to be players like that. Bowen Byram, you know, who I didn't necessarily have very low in my draft rankings. I had a little bit of fear that he was a little too wild, wasn't going to be, you know, contained enough um, to, to play a, the way that he played in junior in the NHL. Um, and he has adapted to a certain extent. Um, and I, and I like the player an awful lot, but you know, those are some of the players that I feel like, you know, I stick out in my memory, but I'll always go back to that first one because just, I I think it's a great lesson. The first time you do anything, it's not going to be great, but you keep doing that thing and you keep learning from all those mistakes and eventually you get better, never perfect, but better. All right. Moving on to the next question. This one comes to us from Gary. And uh, Gary uh, says, huge congrats on number 100. Thank you very much, Gary. Really appreciate that. Thoughts on William Eklund's start? He's getting more minutes. Look good in my limited viewing. Seems he has generated the chances and the offensive production is starting to come. Gary, you are correct. So William Eklund was a player I was very high on in his draft year. Um, I had him, I believe, third on my rankings for his draft class, which was above slotting for him from a lot of people. Um, You know, of course, Mason McTavish goes third in that draft. And boy, does that look like a great pick by the Anaheim Ducks. I think their drafting in the last few years has been really, really special um, and has really helped set them on the right track as an organization. But William Eklund, you know, there was a period of time there where it was concerning. And you look at his draft year, William Eklund had tremendous vision. He made incredible plays. You know, he's playing at a high level. Um, and that hockey sense to me was such a separating factor. And we had more viewings of him in leagues that we were used to evaluating. What happened next with him is really interesting because he goes, he gets an opportunity to play for the, for the San Jose Sharks. They end up sending him back to Sweden and he does not play well in that second half in that season that he goes to Sweden, they bring him back and he has a strong AHL, but a little up and down year last year. And now he's getting regular NHL minutes. And so the things that I, that I've seen from him is first of all, tremendous stick to to, to keep pushing and to get his game back on track. Um, good on the, the, the Barracuda and, and the AHL level for giving him the opportunity to learn from mistakes and make mistakes and do things the right way and learn how to be a pro um good on them for that but you know i i think that um that's a fascinating kind of uh outlook on uh on on him as a player because it was not a straight line and i think that's such an important thing to remember is that there are going to be dips at times for certain players not everybody's going to be a a perfect trajectory William Eklund is a good example of a guy who had to get himself back on track. Now, the question that I have is, is he going to be a star player? Which, if you rank somebody third in the draft year, you expect them probably to be a star player, right? Um, And I think that he's more likely to be, you know, a impact 
top six, middle six player that does score and does provide offense and helps your power play. Will he be a superstar? That remains to be seen. Still plenty of time for him, but very interesting nonetheless to watch him uh, go through that. So uh, very good question, Gary. And Gary's asked plenty of questions over the years on this podcast, and uh, I really do appreciate it. All right, our next one comes from Maxwell. And Maxwell is asking me to put on my scouting director hat here. Um, So this one from Maxwell is the Chicago fan base is currently arguing between Artem Levshinov and Caden Lindstrom. What is Mike Donaghy, Chicago scouting director, telling Kyle Davidson regarding the two, uh, regarding those two and the long-term goals? Well, you know, I think that the Chicago Blackhawks do have a very significant need um, on the right side of their blue line in terms of of having the future pieces there. Um, and And getting that is going to take probably the draft. Um, you know, you look, you love to see what you're getting out of, um, you know, Kevin Korchinski already. I, I think that the, there, it has not been perfect, but he's starting to look really good. And then you look at Caden Lindstrom, who's a six foot five forward. Um, and you know, that, that's something that Chicago could use as well. A big power forward that is scoring, which he is doing. Um, you know, and that is a player with, with a certain amount of upside that you say, oh, wow, that's, that's a really good one. I, however, feel pretty strongly that if the Blackhawks continue to kind of be in their little bit of a, you know, down period, because magically Connor Bedard did not save everything. And obviously there's a little bit of controversy surrounding the whole Blackhawks organization right now. And by the way, the rumors were pretty, uh, not cool. Um, and not true. Um, you know, I think that that, you know, that the Blackhawks still have to continue to build building blocks. And to me, Artem Levshinov, who's currently playing at Michigan state is this draft class's best potential at a number one defenseman. I think that he's got the skating ability. He's got the size. He's got the strength. He has the offensive sense. He's a right shot. He's playing at a high level in college hockey right now. I don't think he's particularly far away from being NHL ready. He's currently averaging nearly a point per game. I just watched um, him on video this weekend against Minnesota. And he does so many things well. And I thought last year watching him in Green Bay at the USHL, this is a guy that has massive potential. Um, If you're telling me we've got a power wing player that could maybe help Connor Bedard versus a potential top pairing defenseman. I'm going with the top pairing defenseman. I think it's harder to find. I think it's a little bit more important to get those players locked down. And so if you have Kevin Korchinski and you have a, um, you have a Artem Levshinov to me, that gives you a bit more of a core to build around. You've got Korchinski on the left, Levshinov on the right, two guys that can produce, um, you know, you look at the, what the Buffalo Sabres are building and you've got a lot of good left shot defensemen. You've got Dalene, you've got power, you know, if you can have a little bit of balance with getting some right shot guys, that's where I, I think that you would want to be. And you've got, if you have Levshinov and Korchinski, you've got two big guys in your blue line that can move pucks and can score. 
that is a great place to be. That would be my advice, even though I think Caden Lindstrom is a fascinating individual due to the size and the way that he's played this year. He's played very well. Also, by the way, sorry to everybody that I haven't gotten my uh, draft rankings out yet. So I got COVID. Maybe if you listened to the episode two weeks ago, you heard me coughing a lot into the microphone. Um, so much so that it was like too many coughs to edit out all of them. I did edit out some of them, though, which is the sad part. Um, and I got COVID. So things got pushed back. I haven't been able to finish things. I more than likely will now wait because we're in world junior season. I need to focus on that. The draft rankings will likely come out. So we'll start with a midterm ranking, not usually how I want to do it, but that's probably going to happen. So a little bit of housekeeping there in the middle of our Q&A, uh, because I know that a lot of you have asked me for that and it was supposed to come out last week and then I got COVID and then everything went to, uh, I was I was pretty sick for a while and not fun. Uh, yeah, be careful out there, everybody. It seems to be going around. Not great. All right. This next question comes from Mike, who has tried to ask this question a couple different times and I, I keep missing it, but I'm not missing it today, Mike. I'm not missing it today. Um, the question is uh, from Mike. Can you give your thoughts on Erie Otters, Malcolm Spence? How high does he get drafted? And Martin Mishiak, what do you think the projections are, um, the significance of going first overall in an import draft, and it, and also Caden Lindstrom? I see what you're doing there. The Haw another another Hawks, Hawks question. Just gossip poetically about him and why he's a Blackhawk. So this is interesting. So, Perhaps Mike and Maxwell have had the uh, the argument already about should we go Levshinov or should we go Lindstrom? Um, very fascinating indeed. But let's get to your first question, talking about Malcolm Spence. Now, Malcolm Spence is, uh, has 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 been a a top tier player in his age group in Ontario um, for some time, and you know he he was a a high pick in the OHL draft, and you know not draft eligible until twenty twenty five. So long runway for him as well. He's a September 22nd birthday. He'll be one of the oldest players available in that draft. But, you know, he's continued to grow. He's continued to build strength. And now I think what we're seeing from him is, is a player that's starting to get more comfortable with who he's going to be as a player in the OHL with the experience that he has. Um, he did score the big goal for, for Canada at the world, at the Holinka Gretzky Cup. Um, you know, capped a great tournament for himself. Uh, you know, not a great tournament, but a, a good tournament for him. Um, and, you know, he's producing at a higher rate than he did as a, as a rookie, which of course you always want to see that level of progression. Um, I think next year's draft class is really fascinating already. You look at James Higgins, you look at Michael Misa, um, you look at Logan Hensler. There's a lot of players that are going to be in that mix to be top tier guys. You know, I think Malcolm Spence is trending towards first round caliber. Um, I do think that he is a guy that's going to, you know, be a high pick. Um, you know, I think, if as long as he continues to build on the year that he's having this year, he's going to do really well. To get to your other question about the um, the situation with uh, the with Martin Mishiak, who has has played very well for Erie as well, and now Mishiak um, playing for uh, Erie as well, played for the Youngstown Phantoms for the second half of last season, helped them win a Clark Cup, and then was the number one overall pick in the uh, in the import draft. And so to answer specifically your question, Mike, about the import draft, the, is there any significance of going first overall? There isn't. Um, really, the import draft order is irrelevant. Um, in most cases, the players that are being picked by these teams have spoken to those teams, have already kind of said, hey, yes, I'll come play for you. Um, it's not, It's you know, people get a little bit concerned about that. I think that that, 
is kind of how it has to work in junior hockey. You, especially with imports, you don't know if they want to come over. You don't know what they're going to do, what their plans are. Um, so really import draft order, almost completely irrelevant because most times reasons players get skipped over is because there's just a team there that didn't get, um, that, you know, that they weren't going to get that player. So they weren't going to pick that player and then somebody else was going to get that. So it's just what teams do. And then lastly on Caden Lindstrom, you know, just to kind of speak about him just a little bit more since we did already kind of talk about him. Um, you know, I think, especially if you're the Chicago Blackhawks, you're saying, can we find, can we find a, a power forward? Can we find a guy that's going to play at a high level for us? Um, you know, Lindstrom is fascinating. And, and I think that he's kind of tantalizing. It's six foot five, 205 pounds listed. Um, currently has 33 points uh, for medicine hat, 18 goals in 24 games. And he had 42 points last year as a rookie, a uh, decent showing at the, the Holinky Gretzky cup. I didn't think he stood out particularly much there in the viewings that I had. Um, but I did like, you know, I, I think that this is a player that's very much gotten himself into the lottery conversation in terms of how high he'll end up going. Um, you know, Anytime you see a six foot five score forward that's scoring, um, you say it, it gives you pause, right? You you got to look at that. Um, does that mean he's going to be a top five pick for sure? Not in this class, just because I think that there's a lot of defensemen, there's a lot of intriguing forwards. You know, you look at where does Max Celebrini versus Cole Eiserman versus Devin versus any of those guys. Um, those are the types of things that will be. Uh, looking at closely, but I'm, uh, I, I, let me tell you, I can totally understand Blackhawks fans, why you are fascinated by this player. And you'll be in a position to be very picky about the kind of player that the team will get because they are going to have a high pick. It's not going great yet in Chicago. All right. Our next question comes from Luke and Luke is a coyotes fan and would love to hear about what my thoughts are on the seasons of Coyotes first-rounders, Dmitry Simashev and Daniel Boots. Well, let's go back to the draft last year when the Arizona Coyotes shocked the world and picked Simashev over Matthew Mitchkov. Uh, that was fascinating and very intriguing. Uh, but... You know, let's let's talk about Simashev. Uh, and I do want to talk about Boot as well. But Dmitry Simashev is actually, as we speak, I believe he scored again today. So he's on a little bit of a heater um, in the KHL. And what are the things that we were looking at? Well, the size, the skating ability to me has continued to be a spot where I thought it was good. And I now am believing more and more and more that it is a, a big time strength for him. So Simashev has played in 31 games for Locomotive this year. Um, he's playing upper level minutes in some games. In others, he's playing more of that bottom pairing or middle pairing, you know, kind of five, six minutes. Um, but he continues to impress. And, you know, I think for Simashev, the real question is, is, is ultimately going to be when does he come over? He's under contract until 2024, 25. With a lot of Russian players, the concern would be, how are they being utilized? Is it conducive to that player's development? Are they going to get better if they continue down this path that they've, that they've been playing on? 
And I, my answer to that is that Simashev is is in a good position where he's getting the minutes that he needs, where he's getting an opportunity. Um, it was a big risk to take him, but I do think that he looks like a bona fide NHL player, potentially even a top pairing guy, which, as you know, if you read my stuff last year, I didn't necessarily see, um, but I am starting to see the light. As for Daniel Boots, another fascinating player getting significant time in the, well, not significant time, but he's playing a regular shift for the most part in the KHL right now and has 13 points in 25 games. He is another one of those guys, kind of a freak of nature, six foot five forward. You know, the boots can be a little bit heavy at time for boot, but um, aside from that, you know, I think that he is a highly skilled player, tremendous shot, really like him. Um, So both of them are trending in the positive direction he is under contract until 2024 25 as well um so those two guys you just wait be patient it's going to take some time but i do think that they can be part of the solution in arizona assuming they get them with ample time all right next one comes from chris and an easy way to get your question on the podcast is to have the same name as me apparently this one comes from uh chris who asks Uh, First says, congrats. Thank you. Appreciate it. 100 is a nice round number. Thoughts on how good ASP, Axel Sandin Pelica for the uninitiated, has looked his first season after being drafted? Well, we've we've had multiple ASP questions, so I'm not going to spend a ton of time on this one, Chris, but um, because ASP has been a a topic of the podcast for multiple weeks here. But what... You know, his his numbers have obviously been very good. Um, I was actually on the uh, the athletic hockey show this week um, with my good pal, Corey Prom, and that'll come out um, after this episode uh, is out. So be sure to check that out as well. And, you know, we've talked a little bit about average size defensemen that produce and and ultimately what are they going to be? And I think Sandine Pellick is one of those guys where you're just going to like, it's great to be excited about what he's doing in the SHL right now. There's no question. It is, you know, the minutes that he's playing, the role that he's playing, the way that he's scoring, very encouraging. Um, Let's also keep in mind, Nils Lundqvist had a similar kind of like glow up in his SHL years. And we're still trying to figure out exactly if he's, you know, everyday NHL and, and, and impact NHLer. Um, So, I think that there's you need to be patient with Sandin Pelica. Here are the, here's the reason, though, that I have a lot of belief in him as a player. It's not just that he's offensive. It's not just that he's putting up points. It's because he competes. He is a he's an aggressive competitor. He plays the game hard. He's he's difficult on the puck. He's on the puck a lot. He's very dedicated and and has a ton of poise too. So I like this player an awful lot, um, and I think that. You will too in in Detroit, and I'm really excited to see him at the World Junior Championship because I do think Sweden is a team with designs on winning the whole thing, and if they are, they're going to need guys like him to be a big part of that. And so, uh, Axel Sandin Pelica, looking good. Hope that helps answer your question there, Chris. All right, the next one here comes from Shokunin, who will get another one in the podcast later too, uh, I believe, if I'm able to get to it. And this one is your quick thoughts on these 2024 NHL draft eligible players, Caden Lindstrom, Zane Parekh, Igor Chernyshov, Maffei Shuravin, Shur- Zeev Buyam, and- Andrew Basha, and Raul Boyard. 
So I I already talked about Caden Lindstrom, so we'll we'll scratch him off the list. I spoke about Chernishov, Chernishov recently on the podcast. Going to scratch him off as well, but I do want to focus on two defensemen on this list, um, just in the interest of time, um, and that is Zane Parak and Zeev Booyam, the two Zs here apparently. So. Let's start with Zeeb Booyam. Uh, Booyam is more than likely a lock for Team USA at the World Junior Championship. He's a true freshman defenseman at Denver. Draft eligible this year. You know, 5'11 defenseman with good puck moving capabilities. Great, you know, really good skating ability. Um, he has played some significant minutes for Denver, which is one of the top teams in the country. He's uh, recently the NCHC Player of the Month. He is producing. He is helping run their power play. He's making good plays, and he's been capable defensively. That has allowed him to really put himself into position after what I thought was an okay camp um, at the at this summer for Team USA into a position where his current coach, David Carl, who is the head coach of Team USA, has no choice but to bring him. Um, and, and it edges guys like Brustevich and, and others out. So Booyam will have a real good chance to boost his draft stock here at the World Junior Championship because I do think he's going to play the level of minutes that will allow him to make an impact. So we'll watch that. Meanwhile, Zane Parekh, who you know last year set the the goal scoring record for uh, defenseman his age, his age in in the OHL in terms of goals scored. You know the things that I like about him. You know, obviously, right shot defenseman, good puck mover, really aggressive offensively, jumps into the play a lot. But I don't think he puts himself in a lot of bad positions. I think he picks his spots well. He gets to the right areas of the ice. He really navigates the offensive zone well. He's capable defensively. I like the way he moves through the neutral zone. That's another player where, you know, at first I was like, are we just really hyped up on him because he scored 21 goals last year? Or is this a player that, you know, we should be looking at as, uh, you know, a potential, you know, top 10 pick? Um, and he's looked more like the latter. I mean, I, I don't know, necessarily know if he'll go in the top 10. I think there are bigger defensemen that are a little more versatile um, in this class. And then there are guys like Caden Lindstrom and others, a big forwards that, you know, could potentially move past, uh, you know, a six foot even defenseman. Um, but boy, I got to tell you the, the goal scoring ability that he has he's on pace for 25 goals this year. Um, and, and uh, I mean, you know, playing for a Memorial cup, there's so many things to like about what his season is going to be like. And so, uh, we, we like Zeev Booyam and Zane Parekh uh, for that question, and uh, we thank you, Shokunin, for your your question. All right, we got a double, du- double dip here from uh, Bert, and Bert uh, says, Love your content, Chris. One of the best in the biz. Best in the biz? One of the best in the biz. I'll take it. I like it. Thank you. Flattery will also get your questions answered on this podcast. Interested in your thoughts and maybe what you've heard from scouts regarding the following. Which 2024 eligible U S born prospect has the highest upside at forward and defense, not named Cole Iserman or Zeev Booyam. So highest upside to me is always one of those loaded questions where, you know, is this a safe projection or is this just a, an aggressive projection? Um, I think in terms of ceiling, you know, I think about players that have more runway, but maybe less certainty of getting there. Um, and and one of those guys that that is in this group on the defense side, I've talked on this podcast before, is EJ Emery. Um, he's got size. He's got a frame that he can fill out into. He has tremendous athleticism and skating ability. I think that he moves pucks well. His decisions have improved this year. Um, and he can be, as he gets more physical, more confident, 
in his strength. I think that upside-wise, among U.S.-born players, there are a few players with the level of upside that he has. I think that that he's the right guy where if he, you know, he's going to the University of North Dakota, they've churned out a lot of NHL defensemen. He's playing for, you know, uh, a Nick Four at the National Team Development Program, who's coached guys like Jake Sanderson and, and, and uh, you know, Charlie McAvoy and, and different players like that. And, you know, he's getting this masterclass that will continue at North Dakota and into his pro career. So I think EJ Emery is there. In terms of, Upside for the forwards among Americans, that's been a lot tougher to gauge. I think the the forward group here, you know, you obviously you, you take out Cole Eiserman, you know, we're not going to see a ton of potentially a ton of American players going in the first round or high in the first round. Um, we could see them more in the back half of the first round, early second. Um, but I look at guys that, you know, may not be first round picks, but there's something there like Christian Humphreys, I think has really good skill. You know, he's got some creativity to him. That's that's encouraging. Trevor Connolly, we've talked about a lot. There's, you know, the, the off-ice concerns, but then there's also, you know, I've seen a player that hasn't reached a level of consistency this year that I think is going to be what he needs to be at the NHL level to be a, an impact player. But I think he's another guy where he, as he fills out, as he gets stronger, he's already really strong on the puck he'll be able to add more to his game. And I think that creates a, a higher level of upside for him as well. Question is, is how many teams are going to take that chance? That's what we'll have to wait and see from, from there. So fascinating players, two guys that I, that I, that I like a lot there, um, you know, in terms of what they do on the ice. And that's probably where I would say for the, for the highest upside. Um, the next one is also from Bert. And this is probably because of the flattery in the first one. I'm telling you, hit, kill him with kindness, Bert. Bonus questions provided you have time. And I won't have time for all of them, but I'll answer as many as I can. Thoughts and feedback from sources on the play of Will Smith and Jacob Fowler at Boston College and their NHL ETA. Which current NHL prospects have impressed you the most this season in the USHL and the NCAA? Favorite underrated prospect in the 2024 class. So let's take the first one, Will Smith and Jacob Fowler. You know, I think Will Smith is is a tremendous player. He's played at a, a super high level this year. You know, already hit the twenty point mark, um, and uh, he you know is likely to play a significant role for Team USA. Could potentially be their top line or second line center. Um, you know, high end playmaker, just having a tremendous year at Boston College. You know, in terms of his his ETA, I still think that's up in the air. I think that he could probably use another year of gaining strength before going into the situation in San Jose. Are the Sharks even really ready for a player like him? Can they can they uh, absorb that? I don't necessarily know. So I would say that you know that he could potentially remain at Boston College for one more year, get another crack at the World Juniors, and then you know move on after that. But um, I, I really like Will Smith. I think he's going to be a good player. Meanwhile, Jacob Fowler. I mean, I think anybody you talk to, I, I don't think there was any doubt that that he would have success early on at, at Boston College, and he has um, nine thirty one save percentage already. He's already just kind of been uh, super sharp between the pipes, has a real good chance uh, to, to, to be the starter. We've got a question about that, so I'm going to save that one. Um, but, you know, real chance to be that. Um, you know, just never rattled. Never rattled. Highly intelligent. You know, plays a little deep in his net sometimes. Um, but he just, he reads plays so well, and he doesn't give up a lot. So uh, very, uh, you know, NHL timeline for him, for any goalie, He's still years away. Um, you know, I think you you let him play at least another year at Boston College, if not one more after that. Let him get some time in the AHL and then bring him on gradually. But the way he's played so far, 
Montreal might have their goalie of this of the future. They might have it. So keep an eye on him. Um, so as far as which current NHL prospects have impressed the most this season in the USHL and NCAA, um, I think you know Rucker McGrady before he got hurt was awesome for Michigan earlier this year. Cutter Gauthier, incredible. Um, you know, playing very, very well. Um, Adam Guyon has looked good for the Green Bay Gamblers. You know, if we're talking about USHL guys that are drafted and NHL prospects, um, you know, just so many guys. I mean, Seamus Casey has been off the charts at Michigan in terms of his production, you know, and there, there are plenty of guys like that. I mean, we could list them on and on and on. Um, but for my favorite underrated prospect in the 2024 class, you will have to wait until after I put some rankings out to get that answer. But thank you for the question. All right. Next one comes from Habs on Reddit. And let's talk a little bit more about Jacob Fowler. Why don't we? And it's, uh, it says, hey, Chris, congrats on 100 episodes. Thank you very much. Question. Thoughts on freshman Jacob Fowler in BC? And does he have a legit chance to supplant Trey Augustine as the number one goalie for the U.S. at the World Junior Championship? Glad you asked this question because I think this is going to be the debate that the U.S. is going to have to have all throughout camp, all through their pre-tournament games, and maybe even through the preliminary round of the tournament. Which of Trey Augustine and Jacob Fowler is our number one goalie? They both played well in camp. They played well this season. Fowler has been the better of the two in terms of consistency and the way that he's played over the course of the season. Augustine has had some really good games, though, has, has looked sharp, and he's also the incumbent. He started for this team last year. Uh, he won a World Under-18 gold medal with one of the best goaltending performance he's had in his career. Um, and he's he's got that big game situation. However, Jacob Fowler, Clark Cup Championship, Clark Cup MVP, um, World Junior A Challenge Championship. This is a guy that has played on the big stage, has played in big games, and has not flinched. He had one of the best postseason runs in USHL history for a goaltender. Uh, had a good summer camp, as I mentioned. I think there's absolutely a case for this to be a 1A, 1B scenario, and then you have to make a decision once you get to the medal round. Um, so very much believe that Jacob Fowler has a chance to be the number one for Team USA, but it will be a battle, and both those guys are going to go right down to the wire. All right, next one comes from Avco Cup, another frequent questioner, and this one is about an AHL prospect, Nikita Chibrikov. So Avco Cup asks, Nikita Chibrikov has had a very impressive start to the AHL season. His game seems to have adapted nicely to the North American ice and his combination of skill with his combination of skill and bite. How do you view him currently? Is he close to being an NHL player? One of the, It was so critical, and a great question. I'm glad you asked about Nikita Chibrikov, who is a player I liked an awful lot um, going into um, the season um, or going into his draft year, after his draft year, and just, you know, you never really know how these guys are going to do elsewhere. Um, you know, didn't necessarily get the minutes to make an impact in the KHL last year, but now he's come over. He's over a point per game. Um, and I've always liked Chibrikov for the reasons that you mentioned. He's skilled, but there's an abrasiveness to him. There's a little bit of nastiness. He doesn't back down from anything. He's not a big guy, but he makes an impact. So second round draft pick in 2021 uh, by the Winnipeg Jets, currently playing for the Manitoba Moose. Now, I don't think, like, especially since this is his first season in North America, I say you leave him in the AHL for as long as you can until he gives you every single reason that he's ready to move up. Um, I do think that it's more likely we'll see him uh, play some games with the Jets next season as opposed to this season. Um, I believe in the production. I believe in the way that he's played. 
Um, and I also believe that his style translates to being an NHL player. Um, he'll get his opportunity. It probably won't come until next season. Um, but that is a player that's not very far away. So uh, I think that's a guy worth getting a little bit excited about, um, you know, especially a value pick, uh, you know, top 50 pick, the, a guy that you get in the second round, you feel confident about that. So that's, that's always good to be. All right. Our next one is comes also comes from Shokunin and at, at he asks who are your risers, fallers, and sleepers for the 2024 NHL draft. I don't want to get too much into that yet because I think they're we're at such an early stage that a guy that I might have as a sleeper could end up as a first round pick for all I know uh, with the way that he's played. So I, I do think those are things that I tend to get into a little bit later in the process. Um, but in terms of guys that are rising, I think Anton Selev is is obvious the obvious answer. Um, he he kind of came out of nowhere at the start of the KHL season. Now everybody's talking about him. Um, when you see a six foot seven defenseman putting up points, you're like that is a unicorn, and we need to figure out how we bottle that and and what is what does it even all mean? Um, but that's that's going to be interesting to watch him uh, you know continue to develop. So I think that that's that's a guy that's pushed his way into the conversation, Caden Lindstrom, you know, is another guy that's pushed his way way up the list. And all of a sudden we're starting to talk about him in his top 10, top five, you know, that kind of thing. Um, you know, but beyond that, you know, there, there, there are always going to be guys that, that kind of go up and down. Um, you know, I think that there's, there's going to be some, some debate about, you know, various players that, that we see. Um, uh, but you know, I, I think in terms of those risers, some of those guys that I mentioned are probably the more significant ones. And then, you know, we just kind of wait out as things progress. So I know it's not exactly the most satisfying answer, but it's still, you know, I'm still working through the draft class to get that kind of feel for those players that have risen, fallen. You know, they're obviously the guys that I've been tracking going back to last year that I, you know, either have progressed or haven't, uh, but the jury's still out on a lot of those guys. <clears throat> All right. So not a cough that time, just a throat clear. So I didn't have to blow your speakers out this time. But anyway, uh, next one comes from Leo, longtime questioner to the question and answer. Leo, great to have you back on. Hey, Chris, how about sharing your thoughts on a couple of recent Kings mid to late round draft picks that are having really strong years? Hampton Lakinski in the USHL and Ryan Conmey at New Hampshire. Well, I'll tell you what, Hampton Lakinski, who played for World High School last year, uh, you know, very rare to see a Minnesota high school goaltender drafted, um, but he was. And in 10 games so far this year with the Fargo Force, 927 save percentage, three shutouts. He is 9-0-0 um, in those nine starts that he's made. Looking very good. Um, Hampton Slikinski also committed to Northern Michigan University. So he's not on that traditional NHL path, but if he goes to Northern Michigan, where they currently have a really good goaltender named Benny Halaz um, right now, um, I think that's going to be a great thing for, for him. He's going to see a lot of, uh, of pucks. He's going to see um, you know, good competition, a lot of non-conference games that will, will help him, but also the CCHA is incredibly competitive. We're looking forward to having him on our air very soon. He already is on our air because he plays for Fargo, but I mean, on, on the CCHA version of it. Um, but, you know, and I think Hampton Slikinski had a legitimate opportunity to, to play for Team USA at the World Juniors. He was in the tournament camp, pre-tournament camp, and I loved the way that he played. I thought he was, a, a you know, put himself in the mix. I thought he was actually at times one of the better goalies. 
However, Team USA is sending him to the World Junior A Challenge. He's likely going to play there. That's exactly what they did with Jacob Fowler last season. I don't think there's any shame in that. Slikinski will still be eligible to play for the team next year. Um, you know, that'll be his opportunity. Uh, but he has played very well. I like his mobility. I think that he's quick. He's competitive. Um, and, you know, I think that's that's one of those guys where, you know, you get a fourth-round pick uh, on a high school goalie, a little non-traditional, a little off the beaten path. Uh, but, you know, I think there's a lot of belief from the Los Angeles Kings and Hampton Slikinski. As for Ryan Conme, now Conme I put on my projected bubble um, for Team USA it, based on uh, the reporting of uh, the mayor, John Hoven, uh, from uh, Los Angeles, uh, Kami did not receive an invite, um, but he's played really well for UNH. And I like his motor. I like the way that he battles. I think there's a lot to like about his whole approach to the game. 14 points in 11 games for a resurgent team in college hockey. Um, this is a guy that's only played one year of junior hockey. Went straight from U18 AAA to the USHL. 62 points last season for the Sioux City Musketeers. You know, I mean, I think that that two two solid American picks there for the Los Angeles Kings, um, and I think that that's you know, there's there's a lot of good scouting that's happening in those those later rounds. Those are two guys that I think you know were on the radar for a reason, and now both have an opportunity to you know to push for more and outperform where they were drafted. All right, we're getting very close to the end, getting very close to it. Uh, but before we get there, we're going to have to talk to Alex and Alex. Ask the age-old question, any idea on schools looking to add D1 hockey in the near future? Not really. I mean, I think that there are always teams exploring, but there's been some interesting discourse um, that I saw coming out of Arizona that there was, you know, there's there's been a little bit of a dust-up between the hockey community in Arizona versus a local news person who had said, you know, uh, Basically, Arizona State football is kind of in shambles. And like, instead of spending more money on new programs, why don't we just put more money towards um, football? And I can tell you that is what most athletic departments do. Um, so credit to Arizona State for not doing that and building a new athletic tradition at their university. Um, and, and, and you know, we're going to have the Arizona State in, uh, in, in the NCHC very soon, which I think will significantly improve their, you know, their quality of competition and also their their chances, you know, gives them more ways to get into the national tournament. All right. So aside from that, I wanted to talk about the number of the number of different um, the number of different schools that are putting on D one hockey right now. Um, and you know, we've seen a number like Augustana is coming. They and they've done. Like the the way that they built themselves, they gave Garrett Raboyan a time, a period of time to to recruit. They didn't open their first division one season right away, as several teams have done. Um, they didn't rush it. They are now building their own facility. They're so they're taking these steps. And then we've seen other programs that just started playing. And you know, right now, Stonehill, which is a division one school. Not a lot of people very familiar with Stonehill College as, as a Division I hockey school. They have not won a game yet this season. Um, they also recently lost to a Division Three team. So before we start adding more Division I programs, I do think we have to kind of look at the landscape. To me, there is no question that the player pool can support more teams. However, 
what I think will be interesting over time is if the NCAA allows CHL players to regain NCAA eligibility in the year, in the era of, of name, image, and likeness, it's time to really have that conversation. And there's specific language in the NCAA rules that bars CHL players specifically. Um, we saw Tim Villander get his eligibility back, even though he did play in a professional league in the Allsvenskan um, for like a total of less than five minutes of ice time. And he had to sit out two games this year. I think if we did provide that that path back, we could see more schools and have a larger pool to pull from um, in terms of you know allowing players to play there. Will it happen? I don't know. I don't think it'll happen soon. Um, but you know, we look at the various schools that have big athletic departments that could have the potential to do this. You know, I think there are a lot of schools in the Big Ten that we would love to see do it that just are not close to doing it. Um, you know, I think that there, we, we thought we were going to get Illinois that didn't happen. Um, you know, we, we've thought heard Nebraska has been rumored for years. Maryland has been rumored for years, no movement really there. Um, you know, I'll be really interested to see how things go with Tennessee state. They're starting from scratch and they're going to start by building a club program. Then they're going to try to go, you know, to division one club and up to division three, maybe division one after that, um, Doing it the right way and being patient with it is going to provide for a better path forward. You're not playing catch up. So um, I what I would like to see is that the teams that just enter as Division One teams and just kind of come in Leroy Jenkins style, guns up, let's do this. Um, I don't think it works and I don't think it's great for college hockey in the end. Not saying that about any program in particular. I'm just saying that having competitive programs, even as independents is very important. Um, and right now we don't have that. And I would like to see that change. All right. Next one comes from user. And this one I've had to think about. And I, you know what? I don't even know what I'm going to say. So I, I've, I've been thinking about it and I still don't know what I'm going to say. So user asks, who are your frozen four picks right now? And who's your national champion pick? Ooh, man. Okay. Well, I, you know, I, the way that Quinnipiac has played this year, boy, do they look like they could go back and, and play for the Frozen Four again. They're getting the goaltending. They're playing well defensively, and they've gotten a lot of scoring. Colin Graff is on a tear. Jacob Quillen is on a tear. Sam Lipkin is on a tear. That is a team that has balance that, that I thought was not going to be as nearly as competitive this year. Good freshman class. This is a team that's building off of a national championship year. Quinnipiac is, is in that mix. Denver has been a team that I've looked at all year. The question has been goaltending. They haven't gotten it this year, but I think that they have a very uh, athletic blue line. They have a very offensive blue line. On top of that, they have some of the best scores in the country in Massimo Rizzo and Jack Devine. This is a team that is always around it, and if they can get through the NCHC schedule with healthy and if they can get through the tournament healthy, that is a team that I think is worth watching. Then we go over to Boston College, and Boston College has a lot of things going right. Number one, they've got the scoring. Number two, they've got the goaltending, and the goaltending is key. As of right now, Jacob Fowler is probably one of the best goalies in college hockey. He gives them a chance in every game they're in. They have an elite line of Gabe Perot, Will Smith, and Ryan Leonard. They have Cutter Goche scoring at nearly a goal per game. That is a team that is loaded top to bottom. I feel like they have the depth. They have just enough experience. Um, and, but really critically, they have the goaltending in addition to a high scoring team. 
And for that fourth spot, man, where do we go for that fourth spot? You know, it's been interesting watching the Big Ten schools kind of beat up on the on each other. I don't necessarily see a national championship caliber team in that conference at the moment. Um, I think there are teams that are around it, but I don't think there's they're they're there. Um, so boy, that fourth team. See, this is sometimes you prep and sometimes you just say, "I'm going to wing it. I'm going to see what comes to mind." Um, but you know, I think that of those schools. Let's say, okay, I'm going to go with Boston University. So we're going to BU, BC, Denver, and Quinnipiac. So very Eastern with the exception of Denver. But Boston University has two players that I feel can go over a game in any situation, and Macklin Celebrini and Lane Hudson. Um, in addition to that, they have gotten depth scoring. Quinn Hudson's been very good for them. You know, I've liked the way that Devin Kaplan has played this year. Uh, Dylan Peterson gives them, you know, some pop. Um, you know, I think that there's a lot to like about them. It's just a question of will they get the goaltending? Do they have enough depth? Is the blue line good enough? Um, you know, they beat Quinnipiac recently, but then lost to Cornell. Um, so that is a team that I'm fascinated to watch. So I think there you go. BUBC, Quinnipiac, and, uh, and, and, um, <laughs> and uh and denver geez wow okay um and my national champion is boston college all right danny asks this is an interesting one if you're a montreal canadians fan because you guys love asking about this guy and he is fascinating danny is asking is there any chance that lane hudson stays at bu one more year to play with both his brothers cole and quinn there is a chance that Lane Hudson returns for his junior season at Boston University, but it's not going to be to play with his brothers, I don't think. I don't think that would be the primary focus. I think it's something they all would like, but I don't think that would be the primary focus. If Lane Hudson and the Montreal Canadiens agree that he is ready for the next step, he will probably take that next step. However, he is still a player, as great as he is, as amazing as he is, and as great as what we watch and see all the time with Lane Hudson, he still is physically developing, and there's still more for him to get to. I'm fascinated by the player. I love the player. He's one of my favorite players to watch. I believe he's going to make the NHL. I don't think it's a process that needs to be rushed. He's still, you know, a 5'10 defenseman, you know, still on the lighter side. The NHL is a grind. Continue to work on your body. Continue to work on building strength. And that would be the reason to return next year. Even if you put up record points, you still have to think about Am I ready? How much time do I want to spend in the AHL? All these different things. So I think that that will be the ultimate determining factor. Um, but it'd be very interesting to watch a blue line that includes both Cole and Lane. And then obviously you've had Quinn, who's played very well up front at BU. All right, our last question. We made it to the end. And uh, one of the pra- my favorite practices on the show, especially when we have long episodes like the one that we have done today, I say, hey, if you make it to the end of this podcast, send me a code word and I'll I'll shoot you a celebratory GIF of some kind. And that's right. I pronounce it with a hard G, all you soft G GIF people out there. I I don't know what a GIF is outside of peanut butter. It's GIF. I don't care. Come at me. Um, So Thomas asks, what GIF will you ask for if we make it to the end of this momentous podcast? Congrats on 100 CP. Love the work you do. Thomas, thank you so much. Love 
that you are listening and really appreciate the kind words. So what so we've gotten to the end of the podcast. What is it? What? So yes, I usually would send you guys a gift. Why don't you send me a gift? Type in 100 to your search bar, find your favorite gift that comes from 100 and send it to me on Twitter. And then I will reply in kind with a gift of my own to say thank you and to doff the cap for you listening to this really long podcast with a lots of questions with meanders all over the place with a host who just got over COVID and coughed all over you last week or two weeks ago, but you still came back. And I really appreciate that. Want to give a huge, huge thanks to Tyler for producing today's episode. All the producers at flow that have worked with me over the course of, since the, the program has been here, used to be a one man band. It's great to have producers, great to have people behind the scenes, putting these together for you. And uh, always I uh, get a little bit of hockey talk when Tyler produces, we might talk a little Bruins, might talk a little Blackhawks, um, we did all that today and more, uh, but also I can't say it enough to all of you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for sticking with this podcast. Some of you have listened to every episode. Many of you have not, and that is all right. Maybe you've come along soon. Um, but either way, if you've ever listened, interacted, asked questions, you have helped make this podcast what it is. You have helped make it as fun as it is for me. And it is also one of my favorite things to do in my job. So thank you so much for spending the time with me on these podcasts. I, I do not take it for granted that that you guys give me one of the most valuable things that you have, which is your time. And I really do appreciate that. So huge thanks to all of you. Thanks to all of the people that have been guests, going back to Bob McKenzie and Elliot Friedman and um, my good pals, Ryan Clark or Corey Pronman. Brad Schlossman, the ratings champion, who's been on this program more than anybody. Um, you guys have all helped make this what it is. <clears throat> There's the cough. I almost made it all the way through, but there it is. Um, but I really, I really cannot thank everybody enough that is that has made this what it is. It has been so fun. So the best way, if you if you enjoy it, make sure you are sharing it. Make sure you are letting people know where to find it. You can find us on YouTube. You can find us on the Flow Sports app. You can find us on FlowHockey.tv. Uh, on your podcast app of choice, please do leave a rating and review. Five stars are preferred. Um, that's usually a good thing. Um, and also subscribe to Flow Hockey. We've got a lot of great stuff coming up. We've got the GLI. We've got uh, uh, more college hockey. It's teddy bear toss season. So make sure you're watching every single game. You never know when somebody's going to break some teddy bear record. And the Guinness Book is out there. It might happen on Flow Hockey. So make sure you're subscribed to that. And make sure to join us next week when we break down the camp rosters for Team USA and Team Canada as we get ready for the World Junior Championship. Cannot wait for that. So stay close. Once again, thank you, thank you, thank you for listening. Shoot me that 100 gif. I will shoot it back uh, something to you. And boy, 100 episodes. Let's do 100 more. Um, not consecutively, but at some point. We'll get there. Thanks again, everybody, for joining me on this week's episode of Talking Hockey Sense. My name is Chris Peters. We'll catch you next time. 